and welcome to the Milwaukee Admirals Podcast with Charlie Larson. I'm Aaron Sims. This Admirals Podcast brought to you by Stenny's on 2nd and National. Stenny's is Milwaukee's number one hockey bar with free shuttles to all Admirals games. Stenny's has the NHL package and will show any NHL game at any time. They also feature a full food menu serving seven days a week from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. Stenny's, Milwaukee's number one hockey bar. You should be there. And Capco Metal Stamping is a growing organization committed to innovation, people, and the future of manufacturing. Capco offers workplace learning and development, flexible scheduling, and competitive pay and benefits. Learn more at capcoinc.com. Charlie, it's a thrill to talk to this guy today. We've seen him over the years, which has been really nice. Uh, but he, uh, first appearance on our podcast, he's former Admirals head coach, uh, Peter Horacek. It's great to see you, Peter. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. I appreciate being on, Charlie. And um, coming back here is always a treat. We were just talking about being in this building. This is back in the IHL days, and I actually played in this building. You with with Flint, with and Flint you were you were a point of game guy up there for Flint. Yeah, you know, I left. I was uh, Buffalo contract, and I was in Rochester for three years, and then came here. You know, I got hurt quite a bit in my career, which, believe it or not, I've had probably close to 40 surgeries. Oh, and, oh my gosh. And, uh, you know, it kind of still affects me. You know, I've had eight knee surgeries. What and the hell kept things. you coming back? I don't know. Love of the game, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, I think that's what put me into coaching pretty quick. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, uh, I love the game. And, uh, you know, it's the people in the game that's always the case. And it's the, the people that you work with, your, your staff, the players, and, you know, the people that, you know, around you that makes you uh, happy to see and smiling and it makes the game great. You need to back. have that to get into coaching, don't you? You need to love the people. It's not necessarily, certainly it's the game because there's a lot of, especially now when you went through it, the tapes and all of yep. these things that you have to do, but you have to love the people. I think that if you don't, you're not going to be a coach for very long. I yeah. think that uh, that's got to be something that's in your nature, that you, you enjoy being around people. I mean, as, as a head coach, and you think about it, when you, especially as you get higher, you go to the NHL level or American League level, you, you have to manage the, the players. So much. You have to manage the staff. You have to manage your management. You have yeah, to right. manage up. Yeah. You have to manage the media, and, you know, you have to manage the fans, depending on where and what the situation is. And so you're constantly on. Uh, my wife used to say, why do you come home and don't say anything for, for about an hour? And I said, I just need a little minute. You know, it's funny that you say that, and we'll get to Todd in a little bit, but maybe your protege, Todd Richards, he I remember him telling me that was like he came in and he's exhausted. He's used to playing. Game's over, shower, I'm out. And his yeah. wife is wondering what's up. Yes, and now his wife is like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> why is it taking you four hours? Why, what am I doing at home waiting for you? Yeah. That's uh, you really got to love what you're doing to be a coach or you're or you're out you're and, done and the mental fatigue of, of thinking about all the details you're thinking about every scenario that may happen a face off here face off there up a goal down a goal neutral zone what are the routes why is that better than another thing you're constantly thinking and who do I need to talk to tomorrow and what do we need to do better so that mental stress that's on your head all the time and especially if you lose a couple games that's exhausting right and when you yeah. come home you know, you, your mind's just spinning. You have a great family at home that understands, and uh, Todd does with Marianne for sure. And you know, he was a great. He still is a great coach and a great person, and that's why he, he's done so well. So, I mean, you really have to have, have an on-off switch as a coach. You yeah. have to, otherwise, it's going to eat, chew you up, and spit you out. And, and you know that, uh, like I've done it with a, many of my sports psychologists that I've had, especially at the NHL level. We had a couple here when when I was here, but. One of the things I've always asked them to do is that when you meet with the players, teach them the thought process of being able to turn it off. If I 
was upset with a, co a player and I brought him in and I had to scold him for something or something happened and he wasn't very happy about it, didn't get enough ice time or something, he has to be able to turn it off so he doesn't take it home and yeah. thinks about it all day long. It's not personal. Similarly, Carl Taylor says, guys, you got an hour to think about what happened on and the ice. Don't know if they're better at it now or not. It's a tough thing to do. It certainly is a tough easy thing to do. Easy to say, tough to do. Yeah, I just think that now they're, they're more... There's more help. There's more uh, help for them to do it at a younger age. Sure. Uh, players usually they don't they get to pro hockey and they don't really have a lot of help whether it's uh, strength coaches or psychologists or skills coaches or that type of thing. Where now everybody does. If you've right. got any kind of talent and you're 12 years old, you start going to skill places. You, your agents start coming around, which you're not even allowed to have. Right. And Ad advisors. And they, we call they, them advisors. advisors exactly. <laughs> and they start coming around. So you're, you're more ready in those situations and, and what they're going to bring. So I think that's helpful, and I think that's good for the players that they understand it, that uh, I had a player once, uh, Paul Carrillo, in Nashville. Yeah. And I could put my watch to say he's going to walk around that corner give or take 30 seconds at 8 30 in the morning every single day never changed and he was so regimented and his routine was so detailed and what, what he was going to do he came in he changed he went into the weight room he had these bands he did these stretching breathing exercises he was the most prepared player his sticks he put before he even got on the ice in training camp he would have six dozen sticks already cut taped Regularly, regular, ready to go. He'd get all his skate blades. You know, they can just pop them on, pop them yeah, off, yeah. right? So he would have ten pairs that are rockered and ready to go. So they, there was never an issue at any time. He was always so prepared that so there it is, snap it in and go. He didn't have to redo it. It was just the way he thought. Now he's probably more than you could expect from a normal player, but the the details in his game, and I think the players now they have more details in their in their mindset. What goes for it? The coaching's great. The coaching's better. The the play is better. I think the players are bigger, stronger, faster. Sure. Right. And uh, you know that's a tribute to where the game is going and why the green game is so great. When you are around a player like Korea Hall of Famer, and he has that routine and the, that he's so that, regimented, that detail. You you kind of have to let players fend for themselves obviously they all need to find their own path but is that something you bring up to players every so often when you're a coach or do you say yeah i'm, I'm gonna leave it and hopefully they understand and they see what he's doing and realize where he's going no i i, I would bring it up right away we had players on the opposite side that did nothing they woke up they dragged their hair their hair's all over the place and they you know just kind of dragged themselves in they're sitting having a coffee on the trainer's table and you know he would never do that he would get yeah. ready he'd change he would just start getting his muscles ready and breathing and, and i would have to go in and say listen when you get here you need to have breakfast already you need to eat before you come in to have practice you can't walk You're in work. here yeah this is work wondering whether or not there's a mcdonald's coming in you, right that's, that's not part of your your professional athlete right i said you come in the first thing you should be doing is get in the in the weight room and get on the bike do some light workouts some stretching make sure you're prepared for practice Back in the day when, when I was playing, the stretching would happen at center ice. You know, sure. you'd go around Sip and you'd skate sit there and you, you would stretch and stretch your groins and stuff. And practice took 20 minutes just to get warmed up. Yeah. Right? Now we expect the, the players, they, they're already warmed up. They get on the ice, you blow the whistle, and it's like, okay, let's go full speed. Yeah, right. There's no messing around. And so that's so much better. 
uh, uh, the coaches do a great job, and the players are more prepared to do it. Yeah. You, you mentioned the injuries that you had over the years. Is that what got you into coaching right away? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and you uh, had a year right away. You had a year of it, and then you were a player assistant, right? Uh, Is that my how it first went? year? I was. Uh, uh, an assistant coach with the Saginaw Hawks, Chicago's farm team in Saginaw. Okay. Dennis DeRoger was the head coach. I went from playing, from being his captain, to being an assistant coach because it was just time. And, you know, I probably could have played a couple more years, but I knew I wasn't going back anywhere. Yeah. I wasn't going to get another chance to, to you go know, to NHL, NHL training camps somewhere. And, yeah. So I took that opportunity. The next year I went back to Flint. And then I was an assistant with Donnie Waddell. Yeah. Oh, sure. Who's down in, in Carolina, in Carolina now. now. Yeah. Uh, so I was his assistant. The next year I went over and I coached in Norway. And so that oh, another wow. great experience and, and seeing how things are differently. And that was an opportunity. I went through the minors. I went to the East Coast League. Yes. I went through all the minor and leagues. And it wasn't until I got to Orlando that everything kind of like took off. The game was bigger and better and faster and How more serious. Kurt, uh, Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Fraser, Fraser was yeah. the head coach. Yes. The former Admirals head coach yeah. also. Yeah. Yes. How good was that league? I, he, that that, that, that <laughs> IHL from, let's say, 94 until... Until it folded. Yeah. 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 I think it was a very good league, and it was a development league, but they kept it very young, yes. right? which is fine. But the best way to do it is to have the young with... The veteran players. Even right. today, I would recommend to any NHL team that you need to have the right veteran players around the young players. So that they have a, a mentor, somebody sitting next to them that they're sitting there, or somebody next to them on the bench that says, listen, don't worry about it. We're just going to do this. And they said, okay. It takes the pressure off. You have to have the right kind of people that are giving you the right message to be a good leader. Um, you, you need somebody to teach you how to be a good pro. And those, they're getting the right veterans is, is the right way to do it. Yeah. You, I just want to go back a little bit. You mentioned coaching in the lower minor leagues. You were in Nashville coaching before, before not anybody else, but way before the Predators. Yeah, you coached Preds, yeah. In, yeah. in Nashville for a minor. What, what league was that in? It was the East Coast, was Coast, East Coast League. 91. Yeah, and, and just talk about what hockey was like then in Nashville. Yeah, it, it, it was. There were many teams over the years. Yes, there, they right sure did. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, there were some really good players. They just weren't dedicated enough at that point. Uh, yeah. We had, uh, I don't know if I even should use names or not, but uh, we had a player that was drafted in the second round by Toronto. He was played in the Western Junior Hockey League. He was a big scorer. He was a good-sized guy. He was talented. He was good enough to even probably even get a chance at the NHL. And he was a really talented player, but he just wasn't dedicated and he liked to have his beverages and he, you know, they, they weren't serious enough to prepare, to train, to take care of themselves in different ways. And that was the problem with the league. And, and it frustrated me that we had some good players, but you know, they didn't always take it as serious as I would yeah. want them to do. And it doesn't mean you can't have fun. It just means you have to know when and when not to and, and taking care of your body. But they didn't do it at that time. My son was born that year. Oh, is that right? 91. In, in, in Nashville. In Nashville. Oh, wow. Did, did that make you a better coach, though? In, in dealing with individuals as opposed to maybe a blanket theory on everything? Well, I think when a coach, you take all your experiences and sure. you try to learn from them. And you say, you know, I gave him uh, a little bit too much, you know, leash sure. okay. to be able to go do things and stuff. And I shouldn't have done it with that player. And you have to learn that when you can and when you can't. Right. When you have to be 
a little more stern and a little bit more pat on the back kind of thing. You learn how to motivates players, and and uh, you, you know you personally you just learn that you just can't lie to players, and and you're better off being honest and straightforward yeah. and putting it right in front of them that this is what's going to happen, and if you don't do it, this is what happens, and if you do it, this is what happens. So you know the best option for you is to follow this path, and success can follow because if you do the other way, success isn't going to follow. It, and it makes sense to players; they appreciate it. When you push them hard in practice, they appreciate it. They want to be coached. They don't want they you do. just to say, go out and have a good time. They want to be coached. They want to be pushed. And they want detail and know that they, you have detail in your game. They've lived their whole lives being told what to do, when to do. So when they, so if suddenly they aren't being given enough detail, like it's off the rails, yes. right? They're told yeah. what, what hotel you're staying in, when you got to be up, all that stuff. So like they need that structure. And Carl, like uh, Carl Taylor says to our guys all the time, you need to demand coaching from us. We're going to give it to you, but if you don't think you're getting enough, you need to demand it from us. And that's sort of what you're talking about as far as how you were as a coach. You want, you needed the communication. It's got to be a, a two-way street, right? Yeah, you know, you always, you always, uh, one of the first things you would always say is my door is open. Yeah. Because right. that's important. I'm sure Carl's the same way and the other players. You want them to come in and sit down. They, you have a problem, sit down. Let's talk about it. I have a problem. I'm not going to criticize a player individually in front of the team. I just right. wouldn't do it. I would tell you, I'd like to see you in my office before practice, and he would come in and sit down. And I would be very honest and very stern if I had to, or depending on who it was and how he was motivated, you know, I would take a different approach. But I would never do it in front of the team. Whenever I was in front of the team, I always took it as we can't, play this way or do this in this situation we have to do it as a learning lesson for the whole team i would never criticize a player in front of the players they're, they're very sensitive they don't want to yeah, have that kind yeah. of and sometimes have you ever had to do it you had to take your captain or somebody that has thick skin that's yes. been through it yeah. and then sometimes i would even go to him afterwards and pat him on the back and say you know and he goes I'm, i got you're it. the example yeah. Yeah, exactly and he knew and, right. he, and they would know that yeah yeah let's go to Orlando, the yeah. success you had there, and you win the last Turner Cup. Yeah, yeah. And now, now the league is no more. Yeah. So what? First off, you go from the high of <laughs> win. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. In my first uh, first four years, I was the assistant for uh, Kurt Fraser. Fraser. Yep. And the first year there, we went to the finals and lost to Utah Butch Goring. Yeah. Uh, the th second or third year, we went to the finals and lost to Brad Tippett with Houston. Oh, sure. And then uh, I think we lost the third one, too. But uh, that final year, my final year, we, we beat the Chicago Wolves. And I thought, you know, this is great. This is going to be an opportunity to go somewhere in the NHL. And, and at the time, the IHL was going out. And right. some teams were deciding to come into the American Hockey League. Some right. did. Orlando decided not to. So I wasn't sure what I was going to do at that point. And I ended up going back to the East Coast League because I, I had some – Reservations, but I had some people that say, you know, it'd be best for this you to do that. Bet. Stay coaching, stay be the head coach, and go there. So I went to uh, to New Jersey mm -hmm. to Trenton, Trenton. and um, which was a McKenna. great oh yeah, they had a, and a great year there. And we had a very good year. Uh, we had nine or ten players called up at the end of the year to the American Hockey League. So we went into the playoffs with half our team, which we had to get out of college, guys graduating yeah. somewhere. And we still won the first round and, and took the second round to the sixth round, sixth game. So it was really good. I've made some lifelong 
um, associations with people from that situation there. And uh, one of the players that I feel is one of the best players I've ever coached as far as character, and I don't mean talent, sure. and how fast he was or how many goals he could score, but as far as the character and integrity of the player, Sillaps, the great-grandson of, yeah. of Sillaps, yeah. yeah. he went to Princeton and he was there and he is just a, a special individual. There was, a, you know, probably a half a dozen guys that were very special. That was totally different in the East Coast League then than it was in Nashville back in, in, sure. in when you your first experience in the because ECH. there those guys weren't serious these guys they wanted an opportunity to play in the nhl they didn't get drafted they're coming right. out of school College, they yep. want a chance so they were going to give themselves a, a few years to take it seriously and see if they could get to the american league then get to a contract to get to the nhl and these guys were wanted to work and they wanted to play i, w- I want to ask you about a guy you had <clears> that didn't play in milwaukee played against us a lot was your goalie for that team, Norm Miracle. Norm was a character. I th- I'm yeah. pretty sure he was because I believe he went to Chicago, signed with Atlanta the next year, came in about 30 pounds overweight, and there was a quote in the paper saying something like, ah, had a few too many beers and went fishing too much this summer, or something <laughs> along those lines. So I've always wondered, what was Norm Miracle like? Obviously a great goalie. Uh, is he a, was he a character? He, so many, he, so he many goalies He definitely are. was a different guy. He was under contract that year with with. Uh, the Thrashers as well. As well, he was. Kirk Frazier went to Atlanta. Don Waddell was the GM. Kirk was his head coach, so I got the head coaching job in Orlando. So they, he went to training camp, but his body fat was over 20%. And so <laughs> he was a heavy, he was too heavy. And Kurt Frazier was no mess no, around. Kurt, right? Kurt never, 20% body fat to Kurt. I mean, he's 2% body fat. Yeah, there, there's zero messing around with that. So he didn't even get on the ice. I think he just sent him down. Yeah. And so, you know, th- there was no question that Norm was a good goalie. But he, again, was one of those guys that didn't take things serious enough. We'd get into practice. And I told him this is his opportunity to prove to the NHL that he deserves another opportunity to get back to the NHL. Because what he does in, in Atlanta with the body fat and being sent down, every team in the league knows. Right. So he's already right. got a strike there's no against secrets. him. And there's, right. he's, he's already way behind the eight ball. So I told him your opportunity is now to sit here. And so he'd get into practice and players coming down in, in the wing. And he, wouldn't, he would just throw a stick. He wouldn't even move. And he said, you know, I just can't stand these repetition things. But game situation, you know, he's diving and yeah. doing everything because he was bored. So I had to convince him, I, you know, a number of times I had actually stopped practice and went down quietly, stood there in the crease, and everybody's looking and going, what is he doing with them down there? And I just basically told him, I said, it's your opportunity right now. You're, you're, you're messing it up right now. You have to do something about it. Take it seriously. Show the team. He went out and sold his Corvette. He bought a big SUV to help take the players around. He sure. started being huh. a, a character. He was the MVP of the playoffs. He was. I remember that. Uh, yeah. He he played exceptionally well. We had nine rookies on that team as well. We had a lot of good ones, and Curtis Murphy and sure. Brian Pothier and um, VJ. Uh, uh, VJ, not the singer. <laughs> all these guys, and they were all really good college players, good kids, and they were on the team. And uh, uh, he helped these kids out a lot when they made mistakes. He was a guy that, you know, it wasn't a big scramble when the shot came. Maybe because he was heavy, it just hit him and stayed. It was like, <laughs> I used to call him, say that he had Velcro stuck to him because pucks just stayed, you know. <laughs> but uh, he, he ended up being a character guy, did really well, he had great success, I told him. You know, what a successful year for you. Yeah. Now, go home, 
train this summer, come to training camp, that you've got a brand new opportunity. First day of training camp, he doesn't show up. Right, so right. They sent him right to Chicago. Yeah. Because we were no longer yeah, in the league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the affiliation right. went to Chicago, and they just sent him right there. And I went, oh, I can't believe it. That's yeah. bad. So uh, it's just too bad because he's a good, really nice guy. He's a good kid. He just maybe he had some insecurity that he didn't feel like he was going to get the uh, chance or he wasn't going to have success. Yeah. It's just uh, too bad. Fr from Trenton. When does the uh, courtship with the Predators organization in Milwaukee start for you? Well, <coughs> it was Ray Shiro, and that was the connection originally. Ray, I, I met, he's the one, Ray was a, uh, an agent when I first right. met him. He's yeah. the one that got me that opportunity to coach in Norway. Okay. Ray's oh, the one okay. that sent me that opportunity. So when I went there and I had finished the season, Ray came to me and said, you know, I'd like you to come to Milwaukee and coach there. So great. You know, I, I like Ray. We got along real well. I enjoyed him coming down. He let me coach. You know, he told me the whole scenario. And, you know, sometimes coaches are, you know, told who they have to play, when they right, have to play. Right. That's not good for a coach to be successful. Well, but he told me what they wanted to achieve, yeah. so it was good. But what, what you had here, and it's year four, I think, of the Predators at that time. So in reality... While they want to win up there, they're still sort of trying guys out. So I mean, you, I mean, they're starting to get their draft picks in, all of that stuff. But they're still, it's not like they have twenty of twenty-three spots all locked up in Nashville already. No, and you know, you, you can tell as as a coach, you can tell who's close to playing, yeah. who's going to get an opportunity if they do well. Um, there's lots of great stories. Uh, Vern Fiddler is a great yes, story. Right, great story. You know, like when I was in Trenton, he was in the another East Coast in team playing against us. Yeah. And, and uh, I loved him. And, I, you know, when the opportunity comes around, a lot of people kind of said they liked him. But when he got here, it was the following year when I was in Nashville that, for me, was very – I was really happy about. But uh, uh, the players, there's some really good players. You have the opportunity. Ray explains to me what they're thinking. We, I know who's the high draft picks, who they want to see. But if the player's not achieving his level of success that he needs to to go to the next level, the greatest thing – that happened was they uh, uh, took your opinion and they made the players understand that that was the success of you as a coach. If I bring a player up that's not ready, the whole team knows that and it brings the team down. For sure yeah. it does. So the culture in the locker room goes outdoor. You have to have that. They, uh, they supported you on those situations. And the quick little story about that is the next year I was in, in uh, Nashville with Barry Trotz. Right. We got a centerman that's hurt, and Paul, uh, the assistant GM there that year, said to Barry, let's call up our first-round pick. And Barry, thankfully, said, well, let's call Claude Noel right. and see who's playing the best. Yeah. And so he called him, and Claude said, well, Vern Fendler's playing the best, uh, but he's not under contract. He's under an American League contract. Yeah. And David Poyle was there, and again, a tribute to him and, and the way they ran things and how how well they, they dealt with the development of players is they, they said, okay, we'll sign them, bring them up tomorrow. That's great. That is great. That, I mean, And that's that's credibility in the room, too. That absolutely. makes this or, an organization that players want to come to. Right. That's right. There's that's a, right. accountability across the board. Absolutely. So let's talk about a guy who wasn't necessarily a high draft pick, but, I mean, his, his number hangs in the rafters here. He played for you professionally first. As, as a rookie. As a rookie. 
Darren Hadar. Yeah. What did you see from Darren right away? He was the rookie of the year when you were here uh, coaching him. And uh, so what did you see from Darren just sort of from the beginning? What were your first impressions of him? You know, he, he's not a big guy to start, but his competitiveness and his hockey sense was really off Through the, the roof. He's just so smart, and he had great hands, and he was very competitive. He, he was not going to be intimidated. He just worked through it, and he could make a play, and he was so smart about where to go and when to be in those positions uh, that he just excelled. And he's the type of hockey player that you, he I call them drivers. The type of players that drive your team, yeah. drive your team, and whether it's practice or whatever the situation is, those are the guys that the other players want to follow, and he's the one of those type of players. Yeah, your time here um, is kind of funny because you, you, Todd Richards was your captain. I what'd you say? Every year you were in Orlando. Nine, nine years, did you say? I was there six, six years, years, and six he years. was he was the uh, captain for all six. And wow. Now you come to Milwaukee, and it wasn't a package deal necessarily, but it sure worked out. Yeah, I mean, uh, Todd's he's just a great, another competitor, too. Yes, uh, right. But uh, he, he really wanted to win. He was one of the better players, could skate. He could play in every sense scenario, in every situation. He went to Europe this last year, and when he came back, I asked him if he'd be interested. He was. Uh, you know, I was very happy, but, and, you know, uh, he's still doing a great job now in Nashville again. Yeah. And, uh, won a Stanley Cup in, in uh, Tampa. But uh, he's he's got a lot lot more years to continue to do his trade, and he's he's a, he's one of those guys that you just know he's going to succeed. Uh, he he was never a guy I remember in, in Orlando when he was one of the captains. The other team would put their tougher players on the ice, and I used to pull him off the ice, and that made him so mad because he says, "I don't take me off the ice because those guys are going to come out there, and you think they're going to run at right. me. I can handle those guys, and so." Okay, and the way he went, you know, he just did not want ever to have, uh, you know, that kind of excuse right, to, to back, like back down. Yeah, and he was not going to be intimidated, and uh, if he was playing cards, he'd want to win, uh, it, you know, whatever the situation. Yes, sure. he Every situation, he wanted yeah. to win. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. you're guessing what songs are going to be next on the radio, yeah. he wants to He wants to be right. Yeah. When, when you are in Orlando, Trenton, Milwaukee, What's that do to your family? You mentioned your son. You had a son born in, in Nashville. Yeah. And, I mean, did were they here with you? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you thought, boy, Milwaukee, and I've got a relationship with Ray, and that first year went pretty well. I'll be here for a couple of years at least. You know, my wife had a really, really good job. She was in advertising, and she was a VP of her company, and uh, she was very successful with it. We got married in Orlando, and um, when we talked about it, when it was time that this may happen, that uh, Orlando may not be around in the league yeah. next year yeah so she said well wherever we go we go and so you know we went to uh, Trenton that was one move the next year we moved to Milwaukee there's one year move yeah. the next year we went to Nashville that was one year move so we moved we moved we moved we got to Nashville and thankfully there I was there you for there 10 for years it. yeah so t that was very uh, really helpful for her you know and she she thought Nashville was cold you know and I said uh <laughs> She's never lived in a cold area before, and it was great. Uh, our dog that uh, has since passed away, we got him here. She says, uh, at that time, she was like, uh, she says, my 40th birthday is coming up, and I want a dog. Your dad, I want a dog. And I think to walk hours. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we got this dog. He's a long-haired chihuahua. He was 10 pounds. He wasn't a little <laughs> teacup, but he was long-haired, too. So he looked like... 
he had the hair length of a, like a golden retriever, like it was a longer hair. Yeah. And I, I said, uh, are you sure? Because when I'm home, I'm going to have to walk him. I'm going to have to do this. And she says, no, 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 I do it. I didn't really want him, but we got him. And that dog, I was so close to that dog. Yeah, right. Of course. How often does that, how often does that happen? I don't want the dog. Years, that, oh my, 17 years. 17 years. Oh, my like, gosh. And we, we used to live in, uh, in this neighborhood in Nashville, and it was sidewalks. And we used to walk. It was a three-mile walk. And people would say, who's that big guy walking around with that little tiny dog? And I would say, well, that was, that was you. <laughs> <laughs> that, so when you when you go to Nashville, I remember Lane Lambert telling me one time, it's it's great to work for Barry because he doesn't think somebody's out for his job. He gives you responsibilities. You'd been a head coach for so long, and now you're going up to Nashville. There's an opening to be an assistant. What how, what was that like for you? Well, it was very exciting. I mean, the one me, it's the, the NHL. Yes. I mean, you get an opportunity. When they said it may only be one year, or don't worry, you can stay in in Milwaukee, and I, and I love Milwaukee, but, you know, being in the NHL is, Everybody is the, wants to be the ultimate there, yeah. goal. So, yeah. you know, going there, Barry, again, he's just a quality, quality person. He's a better person than he is a coach, and he's a great coach. Uh, you know, he, he's he got challenges at home. I mean, yeah. his son has got Down syndrome, and he's just a great father. Uh, he's a great family. It makes them work harder for them on the ice. Yeah. And uh, he, he's just that kind of person. You know, you can become very close to him. Uh, his, his wife, Kim, the whole, all their kids, they're all great people. Uh, it made it really easy. Uh, you weren't intimidated. He was able to delegate. I've had situations with coaches and being assistants for that they had to do everything. Right. You know, and they... They felt like they had to have their hands on everything. Yeah. And he was just, okay, you're going to handle this and you're going to handle that. And, you know, if there was a meeting or something happened, you it's your meeting. You know, yeah. he just stood in the back. He's not even that far removed from the AHL, though, at that time. So that's really impressive, right? Like, he, he won the Calder Cup in Portland in 96 yeah. or 97. Yeah. So that's, that's not that long. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I still, you know, think the world of him. Uh, I had a great experience there. Uh, David was David Poyle was a, one of the most organized, structured uh, GM in the NHL. I mean, he's just he yeah. does a great job preparing, making sure everybody is prepared around him. He just does a great job. Uh, he's a quality person. Uh, he he keeps the loyalty of quality people around. Him. And uh, I just think that that's the one of the biggest things that Nashville and Milwaukee has done is they've had this relationship for so long. And it's because of the people and the way they work together. And I think Nashville's a great place. I really enjoyed people here. Charlie, you've been here for a long time. Long time, time yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, that's that's the good part about it. And, uh, you know, you have that kind of relationship. You should nurture it, keep it going. Players benefit from it. The fans benefit from yes, it. Yes, of course. That, that 0203 season, Admirals have missed the playoffs the year before. We make the playoffs that year. And... Uh, do beat Rochester in the first round where you used to used to play, and then lose to Houston, who goes on to win the Calder Cup. Yeah. But there's a couple familiar faces on that team that uh, you mentioned that played, then would go on to play for the Admirals the following year. And one of them is Curtis Murphy. Yeah. Talk about what Curtis talk about Murphy. A winner, yeah. yeah. Talk about a winner. Winning college, the IHL, the AHL. Like talk about this guy and what he was like to coach. Yeah, he's a. Dynamic is he the defensive Darren Hadar? Yeah, I would say so because. You know, a lot of players, he was able to get up the ice. He was stocky. He wasn't very tall. He had a great shot. He had great instincts. And the instincts were something that sometimes you really can't teach. Right. I used to talk about the players, especially the D, getting up ice and being the fourth man in the rush 
and he'd come into the zone and most D don't know when their play is dead and they should turn back or hold yep. so that there's not a two-on-one or a three-on-two going the other way. He was the only guy that I ever said, when you hit the blue line, make a decision whether or not you need to be in it or you're going to stay. And I just told uh, Curtis, I said, use your instincts. Yeah. Just but whatever you think is right. Is right. And he, he rarely ever got caught. And, you know, he was just one of those guys that uh, knew when to dart in, when to go back door, when to be involved. And he could skate so well, he'd be back before there was a problem. Any issues. Great, great kid. That year, uh, Todd McClellan coached that Houston team, went on to it. He's still coaching in yeah, the NHL. Yeah, right. LA, yeah. And uh, another good person. That's the things that happen in the American Hockey League. There's just a lot of really good people. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. The, when your time in Nashville ended, was that a difficult time? Was it easy to find a job there? You go to... F- you end up being the head coach in Florida that next season, but it, it, it there was you a, started was in a San, San Antonio. You started in San Antonio, yeah. right? So uh, Mike Santos was the assistant GM in Florida. Dale Talon was the yes. uh, GM, and Mike Santos called me, and he was in Nashville, as you know. Yes, of course. Yeah, and uh, he was the assistant GM there at first. And uh, Is this why I first met you, by the way, in San Antonio. So that's right. where, yeah. And so he hired me to go to san antonio and so that was the the move that we made was going to san antonio and then was it time to be a head coach is that what was that the thinking or uh i think you know over those 10 years i interviewed five six times for jobs in the nhl that i i know for a fact that i was uh, they told me i was like second right you know number two calgary job and uh you know, there was a Vancouver job. I came in second there in Calgary. Okay. They said I came in second there. You know, you you go to a lot of these. Dallas was another one. Uh, you, you're interviewing. They go well. Those are the opportunities. Ten years is a long time to be an assistant. Yeah. In what? And Especially. you really have to grab back on being in charge. Yeah. Yes. Being in charge. There's a different kind of energy. Uh, you know, when you're an assistant or associate coach, you're you're a lot of times you're you're kind of patting people rather than telling people. Yes. And there's a different kind of energy. But the media you ever not all deal with it again. Yeah. And ultimately, the decisions whether it the as a head coach, the buck stops with you. Yeah. Right. Doesn't matter the who has, is right, here, right. Where the input has come from, ultimately it's your and choice. You want that? Yeah. People yeah. Want yeah. That. Yeah. So Absolutely. we got you know it was December I guess, and uh, um, Kevin Deneen got fired. And they called me. I was in Abbotsford, playing, playing <laughs> Abbotsford. And they asked me to fly to New York City to meet with the owner of the Panthers. And the team was in Boston, and they were going to Ottawa. And then oh, I had to fly to Ottawa the next day after the, and meet them. And I met the team in the morning. We're playing that night. So I had not even been around the team. Didn't really know them. And I had to go in and have a meeting, talk about this. You really couldn't change yeah, anything right, in the middle not, of that. No. But uh, you go in and you make those situations. We weren't going to make the playoffs, and Dale started, you know, cleaning house, cleaning house, and moving players or whatever. Uh, you know, there's to change a culture. You, you have to have the freedom to be able to make decisions, right? Yeah. And you have to have, you know, direction. This is what we want to do. Like my direction there was really just to change the attitude of the team, to play faster, to play more aggressively and to attack more in that situation. Uh, but they, they really, I don't think, had plans at that opportunity. I was hoping that I'd be able to go back there the second year. Sure. 
and the new owner came in, that owner came in mid-season, around the same time that they hired me for the rest of that season, and he cleaned, basically cleaned house, yeah. and he just said, okay, he wanted all his guys and what the place would be, and that's just circumstantial. It is what it is, and, you know, I see Dale now out. He's he's, he's Golfing, probably. Well, he does that, but he's uh, he's a good golfer. Very good. He was good. he was played in some senior PGA Tour events, yeah. if I'm not yeah. mistaken. And uh, he's a, he's a good guy, and I enjoyed being around him. And um, but uh, the next year, I got hired to go do the same thing with Toronto. Toronto, yes. yeah. Uh, except I was their assistant, but uh, Randy Randy really got his assistants. Uh, I don't know if he got them, but they fired his assistants, and. Uh, Whenever that happens, it's awkward. It's it's tough. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I thought of it as okay. They're hiring me because they're going to fire him. Yeah. Right. Because they think, well, you can go on the bench and, and take over. And he's probably thinking it. the same thing. And he's thinking the same thing. Yeah. So I don't know how much he trusted me or or or, or Steve Spot, sure, who's yeah. been with Peter, Peter DeBoer DeBoer forever, yeah, forever, and he's now in Dallas with him. He's took him to San Jose to Vegas and. Into yeah. Dallas now with them, uh, but we were the assistants and we were going to take over, and that's basically what happened there in Toronto. And they had to get back to where they were going to start from, which was hiring Lou, hiring Babcock, and and going through all that process. To be the head coach of the Maple Leafs, though, I mean, what you talk about pressure media, <laughs> media like in uh, Toronto. I didn't mind the media, but uh, you know, the biggest thing was every single day there was a room. With a you're going to the Super Bowl and they're going to ask you questions. Right. Like every right. practice, it was the same thing. Yeah. Games, practice, there was a lot of media. Uh, I didn't mind it. I I just said, uh, okay, bring it on. And and I wasn't going to lie to them, just like I wouldn't lie to a player. Uh, doesn't mean I tell them everything. Sure. It just means that, you know, I if I couldn't answer that question truthfully, I just said I tell them I can't answer that question. Sure. Yeah. You know, you had Phil Kessel there, and he just set the record for most consecutive games, which is astonishing. And especially, yeah. he's played every game here. since you since it's, you coached him. It's it's especially astonishing because he's a Wisconsin kid, and that's like I think there's a, a great pride. He scores his 400th goal as well. Phil, I know, dealt with a lot of stuff there, but it, it doesn't seem like anything bugs that guy at all. I think it bugged him somewhat, but you you have to be able to have thick skin. You know, it's it's tough. Uh, you know, he took took a lot of flack, and you know he didn't want to be the guy in front of the microphone. He, right. he wanted to play, but he's the leading scorer. And he so wanted he has to be, yeah. but because he was a scorer and he's in Toronto, they they put a lot of heat on him. The fans either loved him or hated him, and um, you know he, he just wanted to play hockey. He loves the game, and he just wants to play hockey. And uh, you know it, it didn't always fit, sit well with everybody, but. Uh, uh, you know that's that's Phil. Uh, yeah. He's he's he'd be happy if he was out playing a game uh, on the pond on the pond the hockey, yeah. up in Wisconsin, sure. northern Wisconsin, playing. And he just loved it. And he could. He's fast. He passes hard and accurately, and he has a really hard shot. Um, so you know he can he can drive it. And I think when he left there, he went to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Couldn't have a better place for him. Right. When you got Crosby, Malkin, Latang, they drive and, the bus. Yeah. And if somebody's going to ask a question, they're talking to Crosby or Malkin or one of these right. guys, Latang. Yeah. yeah. He didn't have and to get it behind the microphone at all. And he so can just do like you were just saying. He can play hockey. He could just play. And so that and boy, that, he that could he play. Nice. And they won a championship. So yeah. yeah. 
Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. You got anything else, Charlie? I, I don't think so. I mean, we're, we're going to we got an Admirals game coming up we here do, shortly. We so. do. We always close these, Peter, by asking, when you think of your time in Milwaukee, what do you think of? Well, I think of the quality of people. I mean, it's kind of a blue-collar town. Actually, I was kind of really looking forward to the fact that we were going to spend some summers here, all the festivals that go right. on, and, you know, uh, you know, I, you know, going out and having a beer with some people and getting to know uh, a little bit more about uh, everybody here. But uh, I know my neighbor, who's a huge Packer fan, <laughs> he comes up every single year and he spends, a, a, his, you know, catches a game and he catches them wherever on the road. But uh, it's he flies in, comes here to Milwaukee. They stay for a couple of days, then go Is up. Is that right? Your game. neighbor now. Who my does neighbor that? now in Florida. <laughs> in Florida. I live in Florida. So. Real quick, how is scouting? You know, scouting is, is a total different animal. There's no pressure. Yeah. Uh, you don't care who wins or loses. And there's no interest in, in the game, right? I really don't care who wins or loses. Right. It doesn't matter. I write a game report. If I have both teams, I'll write uh, reports. I was going to ask, how does it work? Do you always have both teams, or do you usually have one? I actually prefer to have one because then I can concentrate yes. on just what one team. I don't even look at the other team. But, like, tonight, both teams are mine. I have Dallas and so Texas and, and Nashville, so... That's now yeah. uh, both my teams. But I'll have certain players that I know I'm going to write a report on. So maybe they're a UFA next year. Maybe they're an sure. RFA. Maybe they're a young guy that uh, we just want to start building a database on. Sure. Maybe it's a guy that we're interested in trading for or something. Uh, or anybody that piques my interest during the game. This sure. guy played really well or something. And I'll write some reports. You have to write some skill set things. And there's categories and it's a software program that you, you use, but, uh, you know, you close your computer, you finish your book, and you move on to the next city. And so, um, and you're I not downing at acid tablets all night long. I don't love the travel. Yeah. I, I love the games. Yeah. 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 It's great to see you. Thanks for doing Thanks, this. Thanks, guys. Really I, appreciate I appreciate it. it. We appreciate yeah. it. Peter Horacek joining us. Uh, podcast brought to you by Stenny's on 2nd and National, Milwaukee's number one hockey bar with free shuttles to all Admirals games. Stenny's has the NHL package. It will show any NHL game at any time. They also feature a full food menu serving seven days a week from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. Stenny's, Milwaukee's number one hockey bar. You should be there. Also brought to you by Capco. Capco Metal Stamping is a growing organization committed to innovation, people, and the future of manufacturing. They offer workplace learning and development, flexible scheduling, and competitive pay and benefits. Learn more at capcoinc.com. For Charlie Larson, I'm Aaron Sims. Thanks for listening to this Milwaukee Admirals podcast. <laughs>